Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more info about Freedom Church, visit hellofreedomchurch.com. Right. Well, as you know, and as you saw, we've been going through a series of sermons entitled God's Plan. And over the weeks, I know Pastor Jared last week talked about children. And I've heard such wonderful things about that that went well. And I know before that, talking about some pretty... Well, some pretty weighty topics, as, as you've seen. Uh, I'll, I'm going to be really honest with you. It was, it was at the beginning of the series, after the first sermon, went home, Mary and I were sitting at a table at lunch on Sunday. And how many know it's like when you realize you've not done something right and the Holy Spirit convicts you? And, and he convicted me, and he says, how about singles? We're talking about marriage, we're talking about family, but how about singles? And I felt so convicted like, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to call my friend, Twyla Coons, and ask her to come and speak. I can speak on it, but I, I don't think I'm supposed to. I, I believe God has somebody else. And so today, I'm going to ask Twyla Coons to come and share. She was uh, a head of youth and children for a number of years in the state of North Dakota for the Assemblies of God. Last five years, she is the vice president of student development at Trinity Bible College. And so we are blessed to have Twyla come and share. Let's welcome her to Freedom Church today. Thank you. It is a joy to be here. Um, uh, This is like the coolest, don't tell anyone else, but this is the coolest church building in North Dakota. Okay. So uh, don't tell anyone else or I won't be invited anywhere. Um, But it's always a joy to be back at Freedom Church and uh, as a part of this series. Thank you so much, Pastor. Love your pastors. And wow, what a joy to celebrate the story of this church through this journey with, with Kayla and Etta today. I mean, what a, an amazing story and journey this church has had and the way it has reached out to this community and uh, discipled people in the different seasons of life. Um, well, as Pastor said, uh, my name is Twyla. I am 43 and I'm single, never married. Now that sounds like the opening line to a support group, right? Like, hello, my name is Twyla. All right. Um, which is what most people think singles need, okay? (laughs) Is like, okay, you need to come to a support group so you can get rid of these uh, problems. Um, But we're gonna demyth today a whole bunch of stuff like that as we rethink singleness through the lens of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, all right? That's our goal today. I love that you have a pastor with a holistic vision for a healthy church. Whether you're single or married, he loves you. They love you. Your pastors love you and want God's best for you. And so really when he called me, the uh, the heart was, how do we become a better church, a better community when it comes to singles uh, as important parts of the body of Christ? So the title of this message today is table for one, table for one. Now, I'm not talking about dating. Most messages that claim to be for singles are actually how singles can fix themselves, right? Like like how do you date so that you get rid of your disease of singleness, right? And so I'm not taking that approach today. Um, Sometimes singleness is kind of viewed as a disease for which marriage is the cure. And we need good talks about dating. All right, so Josiah, bring it, okay? Bring it, you know, and uh, uh, he turned out, he was a kind of a punk middle schooler, but I'm just so happy how you turned out. Um, Anyways, (laughs) uh, so um, (laughs) good, the bad, and the ugly, just I can tell you about dating. Okay, 
Uh, I'm not the one to do that today. I am still single, so I'm not going to talk to you about dating. Um, but I am going to talk about uh, healthy singleness and how we can be a better uh, church to single people. So this message isn't just for single people. I hope you're encouraged, but it's really for the body of Christ for the church. Table for one. Now, imagine with me, it is Friday night, and if you're married, let's say your family's out of town, and you're hungry and you would like to go to your favorite restaurant in Grand Forks, okay? Now, I live in a little town called Ellendale, so we have Subway and Cenex to choose from, okay? But you guys have some restaurants. So tell somebody next to you what your favorite restaurant would be, sit-down restaurant that you would go to on a Friday night. <laughs> Moo Moo's. Really? Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So you have all these restaurants to choose from, and let's say you want to go to a, you want a good meal, sit-down restaurant, and you're, if you're married, your family's out of town. If you're single, your friends aren't around. Um, how many of you say, I would never go into a restaurant, sit-down restaurant by myself and ask for a table one, I'm totally going to do Uber Eats or something like that? How many of you would say, that's me, I'm never going to do that, Okay. How many of you are like, oh, no big deal. I do that all the time. I'll go in by myself, go sit down. At a, how many of you? Y'all are crazy, okay? Y'all crazy, and you're way too confident. You're probably prideful, and you should probably repent, okay? No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. But for a lot of people, that's kind of our nightmare, right? That table for one. Uh, a lot of people's nightmares, like I've had friends who've said to me, especially friends who are like, who are like super people person. They're like, they're like, I could never go into a restaurant and ask for a table for one, like that, and you know, that would be devastating to me to do that. And uh, uh, I once heard, uh, this was several years ago, but they had interviewed some middle school or surveyed some middle schoolers, and at that time, their number one fear was who they were going to sit by at lunch. You remember middle school, right? Middle school, not many middle schoolers walk in and think, oh, I'm just gonna sit by myself, right? There is such, there's, there's kind of this fear, but what is it? Because we don't actually have a fear of eating alone. Look, we eat alone all the time. Even you married people go off to your little basement den with your Netflix, you know, and you're like, leave me alone, okay? Look, I've heard things, all right, okay? So we don't actually have a fear of eating alone. Nobody pops a bowl of popcorn and is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to sit in front of the television by myself, okay? We don't have a fear of eating alone. What we have a fear of is other people's assumptions seeing us alone. Or we have the fear of feeling lonely when we're in a place where other people are together, right? And so we have this whole thing of like, oh, uh, 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 I can't, I, uh, what are people going to think of me? What are the assumptions they're going to make? And I often say when it comes to being a single person, I don't have nearly as big a problem with my singleness as I have with other people's perceptions of my singleness, right? That it's the assumptions, the things that are hurtful are not so much being single. It's the assumptions and uh, cliches and questions that are often asked. And for many singles, that is the most difficult part. The response is cliches and sometimes well-intentioned, but hurtful comments made by others. It's not so much about being alone at the table, although that's part of it and we need to be a better family, but 
It's about what is kind of said and talked about. But today, we're going to grow together as the body of Christ. And so this is, this is, of course, a really big topic. So when I was thinking, what do, we, what, do we, what do we talk about when we're trying to cover singleness in 25 minutes, right? And so I just thought, what is the most important person? I've, I've been a part of the church my whole life. And so what is the most important things that I would want the church, Big C, everyone who loves Jesus, to know about singleness and including singles in the body of Christ. Um, so we're going to talk through some convictions I have about singleness, which hopefully will set the table and give a biblical foundation for our response, and then some actions. Knowing this, what can we do better, better as a community when it comes to singles? And in the middle of all of this, I'll throw in some crazy cliches and questions that we can all stop using and all the single people will be secretly or loudly saying amen as I talk about this. Now, I wanna say there is a pretty distinct difference between those who are about 25 and older are single and those who are under 25. Now, I think the message, if you're single in the room, is gonna be relevant no matter how old you are, but congratulations, if you're under 25, most people don't think you have the disease of singleness. They just think you have like two week COVID singleness, okay? And so, and so they think, okay, this is clearly just a season, right? Uh, but, but when you're, if you're 25 or older in the room, you're gonna relate a little bit more to some of these things uh, that I'm talking about. But start, we're gonna start with convictions. Number one conviction I have, singleness doesn't equal brokenness. You can bring that up. Singleness doesn't equal brokenness. Single people are not half a person, and you are not broken. Now, marriage is totally a part of God's created order. One man, one woman from the beginning in Genesis. Marriage is good, and it's to be honored. And I believe most Christians are called to be married at some point. Healthy family is the foundation for biblical culture. That includes nuclear family, and healthy family culture as a church is a foundation for biblical culture. But notice what it says in Genesis chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but you know, this, you know the story. It says the two shall become what? One flesh. The two shall become one flesh. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say half a person plus half a person becomes one person. It doesn't say that. It says one whole plus one whole equals one whole. That's a reflection of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit they are not each 33% God, okay? Father, 100%. Jesus, 100%. Holy Spirit, 100%. Together, one. In the same way, marriage as a reflection of the Trinity, one whole plus one whole equals one whole. Wholeness is the state of being unbroken or undamaged. The problem is if we see singleness as 50%, as being less than whole, then we view our mission as fixing others and making them whole through marriage. And then we wonder sometimes why young people choose poorly when it comes to spouses, when we have told them that they are incomplete without one. 
one whole plus one whole. And that's how we end up sometimes in these codependent relationships. When someone tries to find their wholeness in another person, and then when one partner needs the other partner who in turn needs to be needed, and it's a cycle, right? And so we unintentionally create bad theology through things that we say. That, oh, 50%, I'm looking for my other half. No, the only half you need is Jesus to be whole, right? He is your wholeness. And someday if you meet another whole person, yay! And then you're one together, right? But you are not half a person currently. The beauty of the Bible is that while marriage is provided for and largely encouraged, nowhere in the context of Jesus and the gospel do we see singleness viewed as brokenness. If so, we'd have to throw out a majority of the New Testament that was written by a single man named Paul. Paul was not half a person. So number one, singleness doesn't equal brokenness. Number two, conviction, Jesus primarily calls us to himself. Mark chapter one, verse 17, Jesus is calling his disciples. And uh, he says this, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls them first to himself. The anthem of the New Testament is that we would be molded into the image of Christ to be with him so that we can become like him. Whether you are single or married, your first and primary calling is to Jesus himself. Romans 8 says, for, the God, uh, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I had a, I had a professor uh, at our college, a former professor from our college say this, I think Jesus primarily calls us to himself, not to a, another person or a particular place or a particular position, but to himself. This is the calling on the life of a Christian, no matter your marital status. Marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. Conforming to the image of Jesus is. Now your marriage can be a tool to conform you to the image of Jesus, right? As your spouse tells you every day, right? Be a little more, okay? <laughs> But the goal is conforming to the image of Jesus. We do sometimes, as the Christian church, and I apologize to the singles in the room, that we unintentionally sometimes set marriage up as the goal for a Christian adult. And we assume spiritual immaturity if someone does not marry. So one of the crazy cliches and questions, um, and maybe you've heard this, okay, uh, is, uh, go ahead and pull up this next one. Uh, don't focus on marriage, focus on Jesus. When your heart is, is totally focused on Jesus, then he can trust you with a spouse. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that. I've, I heard that since I was 14 years old, right, you know? And, and it's often said around Valentine's Day, you know, by, by really well-meaning people who, who, who are able to go home and have sex with their spouse. And, and are looking at you with their tilted head like it must suck to be you. And, uh, right? And so they say this, just, 
Don't focus on marriage. Oh, marriage is real good. Don't focus on marriage. Focus on Jesus, right? When your heart is... Now, now that sounds kind of sweet and good. The problem is, then we're looking over at the table for one and we're saying, hey, hey, lonely person, someday God will trust you if you love him enough. And apparently you don't love him enough yet because you're still alone at that table. So that 19-year-old who got married is automatically more like Jesus than I am at 43 because they hit the marriage jackpot for Jesus, right? That is unintentionally the bad theology that we teach through statements like this, right? Now, the heart of it is just saying, man, don't make marriage an idol, focus on Jesus. That's good, but then we treat it like, if I love Jesus, I get whatever I want in life. Whether it's marriage, a Ferrari, $5 million, whatever it is, if I love Jesus enough, then I'll get this. And my friends that struggle with infertility have been in the same kind of spot where people tell them, oh, you know what? If you just pray hard enough, if you just believe hard, if you just whatever, right? And, and all these things that actually become such bad theology and so hurtful, presuming that if you have children or if you are married, you must be doing something better or right that this other single person or those who are struggling with infertility uh, are not. Singleness doesn't equal brokenness. Jesus primarily calls us to himself. Number three, I don't know conviction. I don't know why God has some people stay single longer than others or for a lifetime. I don't know, and neither do you. So let me free you from the burden of trying to figure it out for your single friends, okay? Let's not presume upon each other. Three reasons I see uh, that adults are single. Number one, circumstance. It might be because of a death uh, of a spouse, it might be because of an unfortunate divorce, or it might be because they simply haven't met the right person. And I think most single celibate Christians fall into this category, that it's just by circumstance in life, whatever the reason is. Number two, some by choice that some are single by choice. And I think a lot of probably non-Christians fall into this category that, you know, why commit when I can play the field? Um, I do know some Christians who fall into this category, usually because they're saying, man, I was in an abusive relationship or something like that, and I need to choose singleness for at least a time to get healing and stuff. Those are all valid. I don't believe single people in this room, I don't believe a valid excuse for singleness, though, it, for choosing singleness is because of selfishness. If you're saying, I'm staying single because I want to spend all my money on myself, and I want to do, you are not conforming to the image of Jesus, whether in marriage or in singleness, right? So I know there's single people who are like, I'm not, I'm not going to get married till I have all these things that I want in my life, right? No, that is idolatry of money and idolatry of marital status, right? So we, we don't want to go down that road. And some are single by calling. There are some who feel called to singleness, that they feel called of God to devote their life in that way. Now, when it comes to this uh, category of circumstance that I think a lot of us 
who are single celibate Christians find ourselves in. Uh, one of the crazy cliches and questions, uh, and uh, uh, you've probably, especially if you're 25 or older, you've probably had somebody say this, a married person approaches you and say, why aren't you married? You know, and then I always want to say, well, why, why are you married? And then, well, because I met the right person, I grew in love, I got married. And I just want to look at him and go, so, so yeah, not that. So, so the opposite of that, right? You know, or, or, uh, or, or me, I want to ask him, why were you single before you met your spouse? Well, because, because I hadn't met them yet. I hadn't found them and they're the perfect one for me. Ah, see that revelation? Maybe it's true for the other single people around you. Oh, right, right? What happens is we presume normalcy by our own experience. So if everyone you know was married by 25, then you presume people who aren't married by 25 must be broken in some way. If you lived in a culture where everyone was married at 16, if you're from the South, um, uh, <laughs> don't tell the Southerners I said that, okay? Um, but then by 18, if, if you're not married, then it's like they would presume brokenness over you. How many of you got married when you're older than 18? Oh, you're probably broken. Yeah. Why weren't you married before? You know, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like we presume that normalcy. The problem is cultural normalcy does not equal kingdom normalcy. In the kingdom of God, we have a new definition of normal. Normal is obedience to the voice and calling of the Holy Spirit, no matter what that looks like and no matter the sacrifice, no matter the marital status. It's always saying yes to the voice of the Spirit. So convictions, I don't know why God has some stay single longer than others. I, don't, I do know single people are not broken by virtue of their marital status. I do know our primary calling is to Jesus himself. I should never, you should never compromise the calling to Jesus himself or what he has asked us to do on this earth for the sake of finding a spouse. Nor should you ever compromise your relationship with Jesus for the sake of finding a spouse. Jesus primarily calls us to himself. Single people in the room, I love you enough to tell you it is not worth it to lose your relationship with Jesus for someone who gives you momentary attention. Your salvation is so much more valuable than that. Our sin makes us enemies of, of God, of a true and holy God, but Jesus died on a cross to bring us near, to bring us into a family for eternity, friendship with God, from enemies to friends through Jesus. That's the first and greatest thing you need in your life. Someone once said, an idol is anything we have to check with before we say yes to God. If you're not willing to say yes to Jesus because you have idolized marriage or your search for a spouse, there's nothing wrong with desiring a spouse and wanting a spouse, but if you're willing to say, I think I'm willing to sacrifice this part of my relationship with God for this person, then that is idolatry. It's not worth it. So that's my thing for single people. But for the rest of us, the rest of you, <laughs> knowing this, knowing all this, knowing these convictions, 
How do we, here's the, the heart of it, how do we become a better church, a better community when it comes to singles? And I believe it's simply flipping this table from the line table for one to this line, saved you a seat, saved you a seat. I remember in middle school, I was kind of, uh, kind of in a not cool group, but then some of the popular kids decided that I was funny. And I remember the moment in sixth grade where I came uh, through the line in the lunchroom and the cool kids said, hey, Twyla, come over here, sit with us, saved you a seat. And I was like, ah, you know, middle school, that's like the angels have sung, you know, over my life, right? But that feeling, that moment of knowing you're included, right? That there's, there's somebody, somebody saved you a seat. If you've ever walked into a crowded room, you know, maybe there's tables everywhere, you know, and uh, you're like, where do I sit? And then a friend flags you over. You know, that feeling, whether you're single or married, that feeling of being like, hey, saved you a seat, come on over. I think that's the heart change we need towards singles in the church, is saying, hey, saved you a seat, come on over. If you have a physical Bible or digital, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're gonna make sure we ground this in, uh, in what the scripture says about the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the context of it is one body and many parts. And Paul is primarily talking about spiritual gifts, but just earlier in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage. So it's not out of context for us to view this one body, many parts through the eyes of singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm gonna start reading in verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and I think the apostle Paul would also mean single or married, we were all given the one spirit to drink. We're gonna skip down to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body, the members of this church, and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, single or married, are a part of it. We need each other. Single people, you have a place in this church. You are needed. Churches in general are structured around families, and so sometimes it's hard for single people to find their fit, particularly single people uh, without young children. But single people, this church, I know this pastor wants you to know you are not a part that needs fixing. 
you are an essential part. There should be no lonely people in church. And that doesn't just mean Sunday mornings, right? There should be no lonely people. So I'm 43 and single, raised in the church, which I said was largely created for families, but why is it that I'm still here? Why, why do I still feel love for the church? Why, do I, why am I still connected? Well, let me tell you, when I was 13 years old, I, my brother was 17, and my dad died suddenly. So my mom found, her, found herself as a single 40-year-old parent of two teenagers. But you know what the church did? When my mom was at that table for one, saved you a seat. They never excluded us, they pulled us in rather than pushed us away and said, oh, you don't fit anymore. No, they pulled us in. And even at my age, I'm so thankful that I have so many friends who, I don't have kids, but uh, 43 and single, they, they say, saved you a seat, come on in, join us. I, they invite me to the table. Most of my friends are married, um, but I'm not excluded by, on the basis of my singleness. Um, I, I equate it to how the church should act towards having single relatives. So maybe you have an aunt or uncle or brother or sister who's single. And when you have, uh, uh, when you have Easter coming up, you don't say, oh, I'm sorry, you can't come. This is just for couples, right? If you do, get saved today, okay? <laughs> if that's what you say to your relative, okay? But most of you, it's normal to have a single relative and you still invite them over, right? You don't say, oh, this is just a couples event. All the, t- all the- we didn't want anyone to be, you know, awkward and couples fit together better. And so we don't have an odd number. Nobody says that for their holidays, right? Because you're family, it's normal to have people who are old and young and single and married and kids and no kids. It's, it's all together. That's the beautiful chaos of family, right? Why can't the church be the same? We need to normalize having an odd number of seats at a table. You want to know how to love singles better in this church? Have an odd number of seats at the table. It's okay. That's family. Family sure sounds a lot like kingdom, doesn't it? Like the kingdom of God. As the body of Christ, what can we do? Three things I'm asking for you, church, for you married people. Number one, as we start wrapping this up, include us, but don't pity us. Include us, but don't pity us. So, uh, especially at this age, when I go to weddings, (laughs) it's great, guys. Because people come up to me and they're like, how you doing? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm good, you? (laughs) You know? They're like, oh, is today hard for you? I said, I don't want to marry their husband. (laughs) You know? I actually have no interest in running down that aisle and, you know, robbing them, you know? In what way should this make me sad that one of my friends is getting married? I did not lose anything today, okay, right? Now, now here's the good news, single people. If you're single long enough, at the end of weddings, they bring you the extra desserts, and with a tilted head, they go, at least you have this to take home, and I go, all right, you know, like, hey, whatever. Whatever gets me more desserts, okay. But include us, but don't pity us, all right? 
I don't live jealous. Don't live jealous. That's stupid. That's not family, right? Somebody else getting married is of no loss to you, all right? I mean, if you liked the guy or girl, that's a little awkward. But, um, but, <laughs> but it is no loss to you, all right? Uh, number two, married people, please don't ask us if we're still single. If we aren't and we want you to know, we'll let you know. I know y'all amening out there, okay? Church should be a safe space where we don't have to worry about de defending ourselves every week as single people, right? So, um, so please don't be constantly pestering the single people in your life about whether they're in a relationship or not. Um, uh, they can tell you if they want to. Number three, don't set us up with someone unless you talk to us. Please just don't do awkward things. That would be awesome, okay? Uh, if you know we wanna get married, definitely keep, you, uh, keep us on your radar. I'm at a Bible college, man. Uh, we call it shipping, you know, trying to ship people together. I don't know, it's kinda weird. Um, but I'm I know most of my young people wanna get married, so I'm trying to set them up all the time. Like, that's like, if you know somebody wants to get married, that's fine, but just don't be awkward about it. Don't like secretly be like, okay, oh, there's two seats at this table. I saved for you and you. Okay, all right, just don't be awkward, okay? Have conversations, all right? Let's be family. Well, not, not, not family is usually awkward when it comes to this too, okay? So uh, let's be better family, all right? But ultimately, just save us a seat. Don't point at us, invite us, include us. Make having the single adults in this room a normal part of your life and your family. Have aunts and uncles. Let your kids get to know healthy single people, right? Make it normal to have single people at your table. Would you stand with me as we wrap up? Just a final uh, couple comments. Single people, you are not broken. Man, the theme of Etta's life, the theme today, joy, right? Here's some joy for you, single people. You are not broken. You are not half a person. Replace the lies in your mind with the truth of your identity in Christ. That's my challenge for you. If I've covered some things today that you're like, oh, yeah, I felt that. Oh, yeah, I felt that. Oh, I've been compromising in that way. Let's replace the lies of our mind with the joy of our identity in Jesus. Married people, this is my simple question for you. Who is at a table alone that you could invite over? I don't just mean at a restaurant, but into your lives. What is one action step that you could do this week to demonstrate the heartbeat of Jesus, even to those in the body of Christ who may be different to you? I'm not asking you to, you know, invite every single person over into this room and some, create some kind of freedom church Tinder gathering, okay? Like, that's not what we're going for, okay? But saying like, hey, is there one person, you know, is there one person that maybe Jesus would have us include in our family? Who is Jesus asking us to invite to our table? I think that'd be a very honorable and family type thing for us to do as we're in this series about God's plan for family as the church. But hey, as I mentioned earlier, more important than any marital status is where your heart and life is at with the creator of the universe. That our sin does separate us from a holy God, the disobedience in our lives. 
But the good news is that us who are enemies of God can be brought near as friends through this thing called reconciliation, where the cross brought the enemy to the perfect and holy through what Jesus has done. And if you're in this room and you may say, oh, all this talk is a little confusing to me. Look, if you don't hear anything else I said today, that's okay. If you hear this, Jesus primarily calls you to himself to know him to be a friend of God, to be connected with your creator. That's the most important thing. So I'm gonna pray and then in just a minute, Pastor Nathan's gonna come and he's gonna invite the altar workers up. But if you say, hey, I need to talk to somebody about knowing Jesus, then this is a great time to talk to one of these uh, uh, prayer team people that are gonna be standing up here, just friends, they're just friends, and they wanna talk to you about this Jesus. But then those other challenges I do, church, if you already know Jesus, I want you to take those with you today, all right? But most of all, we just wanna reflect. We wanna reflect Jesus well, right? We wanna know him and reflect him. Father, we thank you that you are such a good God. You sent your one and only son so that we would no longer be held at a distance because of the messiness of our lives. But Jesus, you paid a price on the cross for us to be brought near. You sacrificed your perfect and holy life for us to become friends. Friends, to be brought from enemy to friends through this reconciliation process. We want everyone in this room to know you. And Holy Spirit, those who are single in this room, I pray that you would breathe life and joy and truth into their hearts. For our married friends in this room, we pray their families, their marriages would be strong and a reflection of you and that you would speak to them clearly about who it is they can invite to their table. We want to be more like you, Jesus, in every way, Pastor. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay connected with us, visit us on our website or check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hello Freedom Church. Have a great week.